Hello, welcome to Ultimate Wargamer. I'm your host, Rob, and this is an incredibly exciting video because for the first time in about four or five months, the Ultimate Wargamer stats are back, which is really exciting. This video is going to accompany a blog post which you can find on theonestwargamer.com where you can go and find all the images I've used in this video available for you to download and share with your friends. Some quick conversations or quick thoughts about methodology. We have used five round results from two-day events that have not used heavy comp for these Age of Sigmar stats. These are going to vary to other stats websites that you see out there. I don't really know why that is. Maybe it's because they use a different methodology. Games Workshop themselves use scraped data from things like BCP, which is invariably going to have many flaws in it. Each one of ours is done by a person and checked. And that person is Warhammer Rob. Yes, I'm Rob, but he's a different Rob, and he's much better Rob. So Rob's put all this data together meticulously and worked through it. So a special thank you to him in the comments below if you get the chance, and a special thank you to Tom for creating all these slides, 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 all these slides for us. So hopefully these make a lot of sense, but this is only the beginning. This is kind of a stopgap, if I'm honest, about what we want stats to look like in the future. We would really like to build a cohesive one-stop place for list building, stats, pairings, and a bunch of other stuff. Whether or not we'll ever get there, I'm not really sure, but that's one of the goals of The Honest Wargamer for Age of Sigmar is to create that ecosystem so that you, and all for free, so that you at home can have this amazing resource. Anyway, let's go look at the, there's some really amazing stats. It's like super spicy. So let's go look at them all right now. The first slide that we are going to look at is the meta representation. Now, this is the meta rep across the whole of the GHB, so since the launch of the General's Handbook 23 to 24. And here you can see what each of the factions, like the amount of each faction has been played at events. If each faction was played equally over that time period, then they would be 3.7% of the meta. But many armies are higher and many armies are lower. I have been asked in the chat, and I think it's a great, because I'm recording this live, what I think would be a good deviation beyond 3.7%. One-ish percent, maybe two, I think would be about okay. And it's not that having something lowly represented or highly represented is a problem. It does provide great context. The most important context at the moment, in my opinion, is that when you have an army that is overrepresented, like you'll see with like Seraphon and Sob, like Grave Lords, you have a wider range of skills playing it. So for instance, you have someone who just loves you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so they play Soul Black Gravelords. And they might not be a particularly good top table player. Whereas you might have someone who plays a lot, let's say Tom Guan is a good example, who played Soul Black Gravelords loads and kept winning events with them time and time again. However, the skill difference between those two is very vast, and therefore that really plays out when we look at the win rate charts later. And that's why I always start stat reviews with meta rep, because it's important to get some context for what the army's kind of skill play is going to be like. Uh, and another thing to, to point out is when you have a low meta rep, but you have a high win rate, what you normally have then is something that's got a high skill expression to play. For instance, Lumineth Realm Lords, they have a low meta rep of only 2.5%, but I would say that they're a very consistent 5-0 army if you wanted to try and do it. It just requires a much higher skill representation to do so. And therefore, that kind of like all moves, like same with Ideneth Deepkin, Ideneth Deepkin, over you know this entire GHB have got a low meta rep, but very recently been doing really well. So we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to move on to what the meta rep looks like post the most recent Battle Scroll update. 
um, if that's important to everyone. Okay, so Soulblight Gravelords, most popular faction. Makes a lot of sense. They got a big release uh, early, and they also have been doing very well. There is not often a correlation between an army being incredibly powerful and then um, and then there being... There's not, there's not a strong correlation. There's some correlation between an army being very good and it's seeing more play, but not loads, okay? Like, a bit. Definitely, in some cases, definitely, in some cases not. I, Yes, okay. <laughs> but I know, I was a bit wishy-washy there. Who am I? All right, anyway, so Soulblade Gravelord, 7.8%. It's a difficult army to build and paint uh, if you're going along all of the zombie route, but there are much easier builds, and we have seen them played a lot. For instance, Double Dragon, so Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon, or Manfred, uh, plus a Vampire Lord and Zombie Dragon, or plus Vordry, or sometimes three of them. Yeah, all seeing play. Um, has meant that you haven't had to paint as much and then mix that in with a unit of 10-ish Blood Knights and, uh, you know, you've seen a much easier to produce army to put on the tabletop. One of the biggest issues for Soulbright Gravelords, no, no, one of the reasons I think they're so popular is because they're just cool. It's vampires and undead dudes and, you know, very classic necromantic tropes. They're just popular because they're cool. So that's why I think of Soulbright Gravelords. They're also an army that definitely has dominated and terrified uh, the tabletop since GHB came out. Uh, Seraphon, 7.1% win rate. I would say that there's two reasons for this again. Incredibly popular faction. It's dinosaurs riding dinosaurs. How is it not cool? There's laser beams. There's magical frogs. It's really popular for that regard. in that regard. That does mean, though, that you do get a wide skill range on this. And when we look at this later, you will see a significant difference between the people that like dinosaurs and dinosaurs and the people that like winning events. Because there's like a this army has nearly a 20% win rate difference between the two versions of its own army. So between Coalesce and Starborn, I think it's 41 versus 58%. So 16% win rate difference between the two halves of this army, which is interesting. Uh, OCR Bone Reapers, I think the easiest thing to say about this is that they are a cool army, but they definitely, this is a strong correlation to can do well, cheap to buy, easy to put on the tabletop, easy to win events with. Absolutely, I think, why you saw a lot of OCR Bone Reapers at events. Blades of Corn, I think, have been a popular faction since the launch of Age of Sigmar. They've released loads of different models for it. People love playing Corn, And then this is maybe the first time in about four years Corn have been decent. So Corn actually seeing play all across the realms. People loving playing them, and they're very, very effective. Um, and then again, I think there's a nice disparity in win rates, not in win rates, in, uh, in skill representation here, because I would say this is an S-tier army. Uh, but I think there's a bunch of people who shout blood for the blood god and have Corn tattoos, and they're not in that same category, <laughs> right? Uh, and then we've got Gloom Spike Gits, where I would say the correlation between their popularity and their win rate is equal, if not more, towards the fact that they're just a very cool and wickedly themed army. And again, if you break out their meta rep, they have four different armies. You've got a spider army, you've got like an all-goblin army, you've got Squigs army, it's, and you've got troll armies. So I'm actually surprised that the Gits meta rep isn't arguably higher. Um, so that's quite interesting. The one interesting thing as we get towards Sto uh, Stormcast Eternals at 6.1% of the meta is that no army is around 10% of the meta. I've been doing HCMR stats for about five years. And at certain points, some armies were just, Stormcast were like 11 to 12% and sat there for like three or four years. Same with like, you know, at one point it was Legions and Nagash. At one point it was, you know, some other army, I can't remember which at the time. Um, and they were just super, super popular. Like, but 
for the uh, for no one to be above 7.8% of the meta and for Stormcast Eternals to be at 6.1% is actually really cool. Like, that's good. They're the poster children. If we were to flip this out and it's to be 40k, huge portions of this would just be the Imperium or it would just be, you know, Space Marines, um, which would be a huge portion of it. So it's actually, in my opinion, speaks to a very well-rounded game universe and hobby that the poster children that's pushed very aggressively by the company are not even the most represented. When they get a new book in Age of Sigma 4, will that increase go up? Yeah, probably. Uh, probably. It's also an effective army, can do really well at tournaments. There's multiple different builds, and they've got dragons. Uh, so that's interesting. Slave Darkness got a book just last Christmas, so a year ago, um, and they also got a bunch of new awesome models. Slave Darkness are very thematic. They've got a strong following. I think there's a correlation between uh, how many people, the correlation to how many people like them is the important part. They're also competitive and can do well at events as well. And this is the important thing to kind of talk about. Um, so I do think people are building lists, but I think there's a lot of online discourse that slave starters aren't a particularly good army, uh, which is kind of odd because I don't see that at all. They've got a bunch of strengths. They have strengths that some other armies would, would, would you know, murder for, and they have a variety of different builds. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Sylvaneth is very fascinating because they have a 5.3% uh, meta representation, but they have one of the lowest win rates in the game right now. So it is not because people are wanting to win events with them. I think there is the potential to go 5-0 at events with Sylvaneth, and we have seen that in a couple of cases. However, I think Sylvaneth just feels like the new starter army. When you walk into a games workshop, and same with Soblight Gravelords, I guess, Seraphon, those are easy pitches. First time you walk into a games workshop, although a five-round, a five two-day tournament players, new people, I'm not really sure. But either way, you walk into a games workshop or your local hobby store, you're thinking of picking up a new army, you know, Silver Death is such a good buy. It's a bunch of trees that look great. Same as Soblight Gravelords, same as Seraphon. Right, but yeah, there's a very that's a good point in the chat. There's an incredibly high skill cap on Sylvaneth, and I think uh, that's why you see it not. You see a very high meta rep and a very low win rate, and I'll specifically put that down to skill a skill expression, in my opinion. Uh, Ogre, now we get into everything that's kind of in the mid gap. Back, uh, mid gap. So Ogremore tribes, they're in an acceptable kind of like meta rep, easy to paint, easy to put on the table. It's the same army you've had for four years. It's just loads of stone horns. They never at any point needed to diversify and make any of the rest of the army good, which is interesting. Then we've got Nurgle. That meta rep is going up. We can talk about that in a second. Uh, Carriage and Overlords, uh, they have got a very good meta rep for ways. I don't think, I think it's quite a popular army, but I think I think it's definitely their ability to win at events and their playstyle generally tends towards not being that engaging and you tend to see people drop off KO quite often. Big War meta rep is up, so unsurprising. Uh, we'll talk about why in a moment. Sons of Behemoth at 3.1% is lovely to see. Love to see it lower. Love to see it at zero. That would be great. Uh, but obviously, they got a recent way to play their army in the broad stomp in the um, one of the Dawnbringer books. And so their meta rep going up makes a lot of sense. Uh, so it's up there. He Knights and Nash have come down in their meta rep since last year. They used to be a lot higher. used to be around 7 8%. But they did take several nerfs recently. And I think because of that, they've dropped off. Also, a super hard army to produce. Also, the army itself is very fine. Like it's uh, very fragile. Um, doesn't uh, it doesn't give you any long games. You either do really well or you do really badly. Uh, then Skaven um, uh, are up three percent of the meta. 
I think Skaven, there's a lot of old sculpts in the Skaven range, but their meta rep is definitely up at the moment because there's a build that's broken, so a lot of people are flooding towards that. But I think that we'll see that change. Beast of Chaos meta rep down. Um, and again, that's because it really only singularly had one build at the end of the day uh, because, uh, since its new book came out. Eidnet Deepkin has um, is kind of an interesting army that's always sat a little bit lower. Uh, and that's because an Eidnet Deepkin army is almost always a spam army. Uh, it doesn't really have a lot of sustain. It's very fragile. Uh, either does the job really well or it does the job not particularly well. Uh, Disciples Inch is incredibly uh, turgid, sloggy, tough army to play through. You've got to commit to a three-hour game. Um, it's very fragile. Uh, and so, you know, that's not a fun time. Getting drunk and playing ogres and, you know, sipping on a, a, a decaf mocha while playing Disciples of Zinch are very different tournament experiences. Okay, so there's definitely a reason why we see one and the other in different numbers. Uh, then you've got <laughs> Lumineth Realm Lords down at 2.5%. They used to be super high. They're down. I think it's because, again, same kind of conversation that you have with Deepkin. A lot of people like all the units, but all the units don't really work without like the big model in it as well. Um, and then we've got Iron Jaws, Nighthaunt, Cruel Boys, Daughters of Cain, Flesh Eater Courts, and Fire Slayer. Cities of Sigmar and Bone Splitters all super low. I think there's some really good reasons for that. Daughters of Cain aren't very interesting uh, now outside of a very singular build. I think actually you have the same conversation about Deepkin, Lumineth Realm Lords, and Daughters of Cain. Lumineth Realm Lords do have slightly more models, but they all kind of feel much of the muchness when you put the armies down. And so I think that diversity is why you don't see as much place. Different with Soblight Grave Lords, where you know you can have a bunch of zombies, some Black Knights, then you can go Blood Knights, then you can go Monsters, you can do all sorts, right? Um, and then uh, at the bottom, people saying Fire Slayers uh, are not popular because they're not very good. They definitely are good. They're just not popular, I think is a, a fair point. Right, we're going to quickly jump on now because that's a lot of armies to go through. I don't want to have to do this every time. So we're going to jump on to the meta rep since, um, since the latest Battle Scroll update and see how that's changed. So in the previous slide, the most popular army were, was, of course, Soblight Gravelords. It's now jumped up to Gloomspite Gits. Seraphon have maintained their position, and Blades of Cord have gone up. Stormcast haven't really changed, but Osiarchs have dropped down. Slaves to Darkness have maintained their position, as have Sylvaneth. Nurgle have increased their popularity. Ogres maintaining the same, and Big War has increased their popularity as well. Everything else is about the same, uh, to be honest. Uh, so the important part to know is that Gloomspite Gits have become more popular. Why have Gloomstrike Gits become more popular? I think very simply because a lot of tournament players saw that just yeeting a bunch of Boingrat bounders at people work really well. There's As I go and talk about battle plans later, and especially win rates, I'm going to talk about battle tactics and the way battle tactics affect scoring and who is winning and doing really well at Age of Sigmar. A lot of the players have decided that the very best way to win Age of Sigmar right now is to delete your army. Just delete everything. And if I kill all of your stuff, then... We're in a good position. And I think that's uh, that's an interesting place. Um, also, being pointed out in the chat, maybe, that they're not that good into some of the other previous threats, like OCR Bone Reapers and Soblight Gravelords. OCR Bone Reapers meta rep going down and Seraphon meta rep going up is absolutely a correlation. Um, absolutely a correlation. Because Seraphon, obviously, or the more popular tournament build, does damage via mortal wounds, which OCR Bone Reapers were annoying, uh, were ignoring. Blades of Corn going up as well is because people realize they can finally put their corn armies on the table and win games with them. And uh, they are very popular. And like I've said, they're an S-tier book. I'm not surprised by that. OCR Bone Reapers gone down because their quite arguably very broken build was nerfed aggressively in the Battle Scroll update. And I think that's a massive positive. Silvaneth 
changing zero is such an indication for me that the 5% of agency mob players that go to tournaments to play Sylvaneth just love Sylvaneth. That's just how it works. Okay, so this is the current meta rep with the most repped army being glimpsed by Gits. There's also a bit of an interesting thing here to talk about with the Battle Scroll update before we talk about meta rep over time. Games Workshop generally do balance updates based on feelings. Most of the time, it's almost not data-driven at all. And therefore, what I think is... They say they do a meta rep, but that's just a lie. So don't just ignore that, the meta watch thing. Gloomspike Gits, as an example, are now making a lot of noise because they keep winning events. But when we do get to talk about win rates in the future, you'll see that none of their win rates are too high. They just have a lot of representation. And because they have a lot of representation, you're going to get nerfed. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting factor as well. Whereas some of the units like Maggot and Nurgle probably get a nerf as well, but like Maggot and Nurgle doing very well at the minute are one of the best win rate armies in the game. But their meta rep isn't too high, so it's not too much of an issue. Uh, Big War, incredibly uh, good at the minute, but their meta rep isn't too high. So whether or not like you need to avoid a nerf um, is is just about meta rep, I think, in some cases, which I think is interesting. Uh, Stormcast Eternal's coming up in popularity is quite interesting as well. Ionis has added, added something to Stormcast. I think generally people are seeing more Stormcast builds that are very effective, so that's fun. Right, we're going to talk about meta rep over month now, and this is where we kind of can see the changes of those meta reps over time, right? That's going to be a super important factor in this overarching conversation because before again before we talk about any win rates we're talking about the meta reps and we're talking about when we got specific battle scroll updates the important part to note is if we look at sword like grave lords they're definitely one of the standout armies of the past six months you can see they started out very high nine eight percent of the meta so very much at the top of the meta then when they finished off uh, at 9.6 when they got their big september 23 battle scroll update we dropped down three percent across the army for this army so 3% drop is pretty significant. It's, it's the whole of what other armies are when you see them on the tabletops. And so the, a lot of players have seen that as, you know, like a, a blow to their ability to play. Or more importantly, maybe they had whole zombie armies. That is what got significantly hit. And they didn't want to pivot to running, you know, Legion and Knight or Double Dragon. And instead, they wanted to pivot to a whole different army. Makes a lot of sense. That's very fine. Uh, and so we saw a big drop off there. Another big change that we saw, well, kind of a big change. We got the Battle Scroll update again in September for OCR Bone Reapers, who had a big meta rep, 8.4, 7.9 in August, 7% in September. But when we got round to October, they dropped off significantly because they had that Battle Scroll update. But then we saw people be like, you know, um, that's uh, they were like, what, what if we just, instead of taking uh, Immortus Guard, what if we just take... Um, the uh, the Morgasts, and then everyone was like, yeah, that sounds really good, actually. I've always wanted to play Morgasts. <laughs> and then straight back, straight back into the into the game. Another big thing when it comes to the Battle Scroll updates, because we should really talk about only the things that are affected by Battle Scroll updates. As an example, Zinch was never really affected by a Battle Scroll update, and therefore its meta rep has decreased because it's just not a very fun army to play. Daughters of Cain have never been affected by a battle scroll update. So their meta rep has maintained and uh, across the whole line. They also didn't get book updates. They didn't get new models. They didn't get new rules. So I think that does also make a big difference as well. The thing that's really interesting is when we go and talk about Big War. Now, this kind of is awkward to find it. <laughs> we try and find Big War. Big War. 
So uh, Big War, we saw a big up. We saw a big update in I think the August update. I think is when it was. We saw an update uh, where we saw Iron Jaws and we saw Cruel Boys both get uh, new battle tactics or pity tactics so that they could score more points. This didn't increase how many people were playing Iron Jaws. Oh, well, it did increase a little bit. It went from one point two up to two point seven percent. Or, you know, maybe that kind of kept in line. But it definitely didn't have a significant increase. Same with Cruel Boys. We didn't see a significant increase for Cool Boys. But we did see a significant increase for Big War. And not only did we see a big increase for Big War's meta representation, we also saw a big increase for their win rate as well. So both of those two buffs that were intended for Iron Jaws, who were struggling at the time, and also uh, Cruel Boys, who struggled since the, <laughs> the game came out... They went into Big War, and they made Big War one of the most successful armies in the game right now. Similarly, we saw another Battle Scroll update at around the same time, where Nurgle's meta rep was around 3%, and now it's buffed up to 5.6, 4.2, and I reckon we're going to see another big increase in December. Although, December's kind of odd time for stats, because uh, you have Christmas and stuff, and events kind of shut down for a little bit, which is interesting as well. Um as you can see also, Ogres have dropped off in their meta rep as well. And I think this is because of just under support. When their Battle Scroll came out, they didn't do loads to really buff up the gluttons in the army. Man-eaters are pretty much a nothing burger in that army as well. And so Stonehorns and Thundertusks, which people had already been playing for three or so years, were still good and people were still playing them. And they were like, this is still a fine way to play. But they didn't give them that big, you know, what, uh, battle scroll, not battle scroll, battle tome change, and the same is absolutely true for Skaven that you saw for you know the new reinvigorated cities of Sigma or the new reinvigorated flesh eater courts. They had a lot of rules changes, they added a lot of rules to make the army have more flavor and do more stuff, as well as model support for those ranges as well. Ogres have had almost nothing. They've had almost nothing for nearly six years. It's been pretty much, if you'd have built, built and painted a stone horn and some thunder tusks six years ago, eight years ago when Acing came out, you'd have been in as good a position then as you are now. And so that's a long time to have people just push stuff around, in my opinion. People are, this is a creative hobby. People want to move around. I know I'm talking about stats, but I, I can see ogres dropping off because of just utter boredom. Uh, but I definitely think it's a new player friendly army that people can pick up. So, that's basically everything that I would like to say about meta reps as it factors into the game right now. Some of the things are quite important when you're looking at the static nature of them. Slaves to Darkness, basically staying the same. Silverneth, basically staying the same. Uh, although you might see that actually start to increase with Big Bug. Big War, uh, not Big War, sorry, uh, Blades of Corn, basically being really popular the entire time and being really popular all of the time, right? So I think all of that's fair. With Sinesh falling off, uh, pretty drastically talked about that already. So that's everything about the meta rep. Let's go talk about the. Let's talk about some of the win rate. The next thing we look at is the win rates via faction. Now there is going to be tons of context that we're going to add to this. So don't just look at this, close the video, and say that's it. I'm done. My army's the worst army in the game. Your army is probably one of the worst armies in the game. But there's a lot of context to add to that. So don't just run away immediately. Let's look at these numbers and let's break them down into like even more fine detail. First thing we're going to look at is just the win rate for all of the factions over this GHB. Okay, so this is since the launch of the GHB and including all of the Battle Scroll updates that we've had since then. 
And we have got one clear winner, which is Big Wah, which is a new winner, <laughs> which is quite interesting. And that obviously is related to when they got, as I said earlier, those two free pity battle tactics, which they've been able to add into their army. It's quite fair to say that if you have an Iron Jaws army, and you can see this here, they have a 44% win rate, so they're below uh, kind of our safe bracket then you can just make your Iron Jaws army much better by adding a gobsprack, adding a Wurgog Prophet, and then saying you're a big war army. So, any army above a 55% win rate is a problem. Anything below a 45% win rate is in trouble, and it needs some support from Games Workshop. Seize of Sigmar at the bottom does not count, specifically because that book has got very, very low data, and it's just got a new book. So just let's just take that out of the running for now. So we're going to look at the top, and you can see it's Big War. And then just, you're going to ask yourself, Rob, it's just crazy, but how is Bone Reapers, Soulbright, Gravelords, and KO lower than 55? And it's simply because over all of the games, over this such a long period of time, it's lower. If we'd have looked at these in much more snapshot detail in between Battle Scrolls, we would have seen some of those armies would definitely have been above the 55% win rate mark. But Games Workshop have obviously done enough of a job to lower their win rate, which is decent. However, you can see... Many of the armies, specifically KO, Soulblight Gravelords, Bone Reapers, and Big War, are really suppressing a lot of the rest of the meta below a 50% win rate. Most of the game, or most of the factions in the game, are below the 50% win rate mark aggressively, while everything else is above, as you can see with KO, Soulblight Gravelords, Bone Reapers, and Big War. So being pushed down is quite rough. Everything Underneath 45% over the whole meta is Iron Jaws, Sylvaneth, Stormcast Eternals, Nighthaunt, and Cities of Sigma. Now I'm not going to spend too long on this graph because I want to look like what I want to look at what the meta looks like now. Specific, and we do have win rates over time, which we'll look at in a bit. Specifically, I want to look like what the I want to look at what the win rates look like in since the latest Battle Scroll update. And you can see that here with Carriage Overlords and Big War being way well not way above just slightly above our 55% win rate with KO and Big War. Now this is still not the whole story. Please at this point don't stop the video and screenshot this and be like that's all I need to know. I'm about to go on Facebook and shower some people because again this is not the whole story at all. Blades of Corn, Ironet Deepkin kind of like settled underneath and again most of the matters suppressed below the 50% win rate mark. And then when we get to the bottom, we're seeing cities, which you can ignore again, bone splits, which you can ignore as well. And then Cruel Boys, Iron Jaws, Nighthorn, Hedonites, and Sylvaneth. Now, we could definitely talk about why those armies aren't doing very well in a bit, but this is not the end of the conversation at all. So let's start, let's start to add some context to this conversation. This next uh, graph or stat or graphic or whatever you want to call it, showcases what is happening with armies when you break out their successful sub-factions away from their least performing sub-factions. And in many cases, this is really, this is the choice that like a tournament gamer will have versus someone who is going to an event, which is the same thing, it's a tournament of the weekend, but they're having a good time. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything more emblematic of that than uh, Trogoth players in Gloomspite Gits and people running, probably right now, the King's Gits is the most popular sub-faction, although Jaws Mork has also obviously been really popular as well. Uh, and then if we go and find those guys, where are they on my little list? Somewhere, they're around here somewhere. Gloomspite Gits. Uh, you can see Jaws Mork as the most popular sub-faction is 47. However, King's Gits is a 54% win rate. Okay. Pretty interesting. 
the bit that we should look at, yeah, the sweet chestnutters versus uh, the narrative sweet chestnutters versus the hard uh, conquer players. The most obvious example of this is if we go and look at the Maggotkin of Nurgle. So when you look at a pure win rate faction breakdown, Maggotkin only sit at 51% win rate. However, what's really happening is other armies, uh, sorry, other sub-factions are dragging down the win rate of Maggotkin of Nurgle. If you take the tournament build at the moment, which is kind of someone in the chat earlier said, hey, Rob, can I get like tournament build win rates versus, you know, just narrative sweet chestnutters bringing their collection to a tournament? I think this is the best graphic for doing that. And you can see that Befouling Host has a 58.3% win rate. Now, this will be Nurgle. This will be this will definitely be Glockin. This will be a bunch of big guys. And this will be doing some move blocking and, and charging in. That's exactly what we're seeing. If we look at Ideneth Deepkin, we know that sharks are a problem. So specifically, the all shark build, uh, we know is a problem and has a 58% win rate versus its its uh, current win rate in the meta for Ideneth Deepkin at 52. So it's sharks that are really, and sharks are easily the most popular build at the events as well. For Soblight Gravelords, as we know, and if we go and look at the just pure win rate faction, you'll see that Soblight Gravelords only have a 50% win rate. However... If you actually look at Legion of the Night, the most popular tournament faction right now, they have a 57% win rate. So Legion of the Night definitely need addressing, as do Sharks, as does uh, Maggotkin, well, specifically the Glockkin, and specifically Befouling Host. Seraphon is easily the starkest contradiction in win rates. Fangs of Sotek uh, in Seraphon has a 56.6% win rate. So they are a problem army as we consider it. They're above 55%. However, coalesced armies have down around a 41% win rate. So if you go and look at this chart and you can see that the uh, low win rate of Seraphon at 50% on the kind of win rate chart seems fine. When you break that down into sub-factions, it really becomes about the fact that Fangs of Sotek are a little bit too good. Big War itself is too good, 56.5%. We already know that. Uh, that needs addressing as well. Daughters of Cain, you can see that Calibron builds are actually really good uh, versus other sub-factions. For Fire Slayers, Greyfjord is much better, performs aggressively better than other sub-factions. Uh, Blaze of Corn, Reapers of Vengeance, as we know, because that's what most of the lists are, are doing very well. And also, with an incredibly high meta representation, I would say that Reapers of Vengeance in Corn is one of, if not the, problematic faction in the game. Same applies for Fangs of Sotek Seraphon. Both of their two meta reps, as we know, if we go back and look by uh, uh, yeah on these meta reps, we know that Seraphon is incredibly popular, 7% of the meta, second most popular, and then also Blades of Corn is the third most popular. Those two armies will have the highest spread of skill expression, and they are still doing very, very well. So they're both problem armies, in my opinion. Going to look at King Brod, he, King Brod Stomp is really successful at 55%. Uh, then OCR Bone Reapers, and then everything else starts to get a little bit more successful. If you think Bone Reapers aren't still good, they've got a 52% win rate with Nilmyriad. Uh, uh, if we go over to uh, Disciples of Zinch, they do have a 52% win rate if you play Guild of Summoners, uh, which is interesting. Saves of Darkness, people are like, oh, your win rate with Saves of Darkness is quite low. Actually, it's 51.3% if you play it with Knights of the Empty Throne. Now, that's all pure Varangard builds. So what you could definitely say here is that you need a lot of the other, maybe you make, maybe you make, I don't know, 
Maybe you make uh, Chaos Warriors even cheaper for some reason. I don't think you should, but you could. <laughs> There's a way to try and uh, you know change up how uh, Slaves of Darkness would play or do something different. Same with Seraphon. There's a real good argument that you make Seraphon cheaper, specifically Saurus Warriors, Agrodons, things like that, uh, Stegodons, stuff that you're going to not play in Starborn, uh, but something that you're going to play in Coalesced because they have a 40-ish win rate, 40% win rate on the Coalesced side of Seraphon. So it's not that Seraphon are too good, it's the Starborn section is too good, and then Seraphon still... So it, don't just nerf them, you also need to support those ranges and the ways that people play, in my personal opinion. Um... And then we get down and we can see Sylvaneth is on the very low 41% uh, win rate. Iron Jaws are down uh, in their traditional build at 42% win rate with Bloodtooths. Uh, and then if you play other armies in Iron Jaws, you're actually doing better at 43, which is kind of fun. And I love that as well. So this gives us even more context for how these armies are performing. Another good one would be Lumeth Realm Lords with Eumetrica. Their most popular sub-faction is Eumetrica. Sorry, uh, Lumeth Realm Lords' most popular sub-faction is Eumetrica, but it's actually performing worse than the other sub-factions in the army, which is kind of fun. Kind of like that. It's always, it's always engaging when it goes the other way around. Um, so uh, this, is, this is, adds even more context to how the armies play and also which armies are actually doing well. So before you, get, um, before you look at these other charts... Uh, it's definitely good to start in, to embrace the next charts about how your sub-faction plays better. I think Games Workshop really like charts like this win rate chart, which we used to produce, specifically because it helps them to hide data. Banking and Nurgle have a 58% win rate and should be in the red, as you see here, as should Deepkin, as should Blades of Corn. But they don't because we're taking the kind of whole together, which is a bit of a problem. So that is more context that we need for how armies are doing, but there's even more to talk about. The next piece of context we're going to put in for win rates, it has to be the battle plans. Unlike kind of other games, this is a really important conversation when you're talking about Warhammer specifically, or maybe Age of Sigmar, which is all we're talking about right now. The mission you play has a very drastic effect. Are there five objectives? In which case, your army that doesn't have a lot of models is going to struggle to hold the primaries is going to be in a more difficult position than if it's playing against in a mission where there's only one objective, as an example. And so the, ba the battle plans are going to be really important in what you play, and also based on the win rates, and they're going to affect the win rates globally. But even more importantly, having battle plans chosen more because they're more fun or they're more engaging or they don't have a stupid rule in them, looking at you, Towers in the Tundra or the Ice Fields, means because they're chosen more, the TOs around the world are artificially inflating the win rates of certain armies. Or, more importantly, there are battle plans that everyone could put into the game right now, the next time you run an event, to immediately start to affect how the overall meta is going to work. And again, this is definitely something Games Workshop don't balance for. They don't balance for what the most popular um, battle plans are at the moment, but it does give TOs a resource, especially with things like the LVO coming up, which is obviously going to be a very big event. Um, AOS Worlds, although I'm assuming they're going to use all the battle plans like last time, which is terrible decision, Captains, as always. Um, and so we have got a really nice bit of context here for win rates. So let's talk about Magikin, as we talked about, most successful army at the moment, 58% win rate. Carriage and Overlords, 58% win rate. And Big War, 56% win rate. 
the four, five most popular battle plans, Geomantic Pulse, 15%, 4% higher than any other battle plan. It's pretty much used everywhere. Is good for these for these armies. 56% win rate, 53% win rate, and 56% win rate. So it's not their best, but um, it's fine. When we get to every step forward at 11% of chosen armies, this is when it really starts to shine. They're all in the 60% win rate section. 63, 61, 63. So every step forward just massively benefits already the best performing armies. Limited resources, you have the same situation as Geomantic Pulse, and then Powerful Arcs, which probably you see all four of those at events. Traditionally, again, massive bonuses to Maggotkin, Carriage and Overlords, and Big War. All three of those armies also perform really well in Spring of the Trap. Uh, they both do really well, especially KO. Uh, and then as we start to get below this, Nexus Collap is 9%, Lines of Communication is 7%, and then I don't really want to talk about any data around the ice fields, the Frigid Zephyr, and the Towers in the Tundra, just because I don't think we have enough data to draw really good, accurate conclusions from it, or at least some sort of uh, like idea from that. Does that make sense? Now, what is really exciting is no reward without risk. As 40% uh, win rate for both Magikin, KO, and Big War. If you were trying to affect the global meta right now, no reward without risk would immediately be a mission that you put into the game, if that makes sense, right? That is something you would do. There are other armies to look at. One of my favorite ones, uh, one of my favorite ones is looking at OCR Bone Reapers because they have a really big meta rep. And again, you can see that they do really well on Geomantic Pulse and they do well on No Reward Without Risk. But if every step forward is in a battle pack, then they struggle there as well. A breakdown on each... like it would, This video would end up being dozens of hours long if I was to talk about each battle plan with each faction. So I would very much like to break these down in another video in the future. I just thought right now, I think it's best to talk about the context of stats. So as this online discussion kicks off over the next few weeks, as you know, you go on the blog, download the images, share with your friends, there's a more healthy conversation that's had, and then we can talk about the why a little bit more in the future. But right now I wanted to talk about the important points that you should be looking for yourselves for the factions that you care about a lot. Another good one to look at would be Git's general win rate across a lot of these as well. Fountain of Frost is particularly bad for them, and I'm sure everyone uh, can establish as to why. Uh, and I think, I, and I think, so that's important to talk about. No reward without risk, and also Spring the Trap, also very good for Soul Blight Grave Lords, which is not a surprise to me either. Now the final slide, slide three. Now these are the armies that are the least represented and therefore also if you look towards the bottom right hand corner of the chart you can see that all the numbers start going all over the place because it's the least represented armies being uh, playing on the least represented battle plans so the numbers start to become a little bit iffy as you tail towards this part of the meta and that's why representation of these factions at events is also fairly important once you start to have a low representation for armies you do start to really struggle to help those armies for instance we know that um nighthaunt are doing badly but we don't really know why i mean we do know why they're doing badly but like the data as to why they're doing badly like the most successful battle plan oh sorry the most popular battle plan that we see geomantic pulse nighthaunt have a 32 percent win rate on that's their worst battle plan and it's in most packs so if you would like to elevate how nighthaunt play 
then you would absolutely live, like just take Geomantic Pulse out. But that's a bit of a shame because it's one of the most fun battle plans to play, kind of, you know, like emotionally, kind of. Similarly, Sylvaneth also really struggle on that battle plan. And again, one of the worst performing factions at 39%. The next slide we're going to look at are the faction win rates per month. And this really gives you some indication, very much like the meta rep, about how armies have done over time. Some of the armies have remained fairly static, like Gits, as an example, although they've started to increase towards the end of this year. And some of them have drastically changed, with Fire Slayers having a very specific build at the beginning of this GHB, and then that being nerfed, and then them changing, and now they're kind of back a little bit. Lumineth Realm Lords have kept kind of static, uh, which has been fun, and Stormcast Eternals have lifted up. But some of the big and interesting ones are obviously Big War. They got that massive boost in the Battle Scroll update, as we talked about previously, and you can see their win rate has gone up drastically. Bone Reaper's win rate has come down. Soulblight Gravelords has also come down as well, with Carriage and Overlord's win rate going up. Blaze of Corn has maintained its static win rate, but it's been a good static win rate. This is also based on the whole faction. So some things like the Gits being artificially low is because the Trogoths are bringing down the Gits and the Goblins from flying higher. You can see and will notice an aggressive lift for Skaven at the bottom. And that is because they did have a big change on their Battle Scroll update. And we have been able to see some significant changes to their builds, specifically the Screaming Bell build. And lastly, we've got Cities of Sigmar in the bottom right hand side. You can see they've had a big boost right now um, because they obviously just got a new book and it actually works, uh, which is fun. So those are the win rates over time. Now, some of them, are there are reasons. Some of, the, some of them, it's popularity, and some of them, it's because of an ever-shifting meta and against other armies that have gained popularity in their way to play. Age of Sigmar is always a game that's worked on a lag because of the production meta. You might have the perfect... A new book may come out, and that might be the best and most powerful art book in the game. But you might have a counter-build, but they have to build, build the, uh, the powerful army... You have to build the counter build, and that all has to go in together. And so really, Age of Sigmar meta is multiple metas constantly stacked on top of each other at a time delay, which is quite fun, which is very much like Games Workshop releases, right? Like they write the books a year before with all these changes in, and then they release it, and you're like, why have you put recursion in Flesh Eater Courts that we know is a problem from the recursion we've seen in OCR Bone Reapers? And it's because they wrote it before they ever had any data on what it would look like at the end. So I think that's... Super interesting, uh, in my personal opinion. So the win rates over time are, like, again, could probably do with another deep dive. The last slide we're going to look at is my one of my favorite slides, actually, uh, that we do on The Honest War Game. I'm not sure anyone else does it. This is one of my stats that I like uh, people to see. And this is the positive win rate potential. I think one of the things that is really important with stats or producing stats is giving some people context for how they do at an event. You might be like, oh, I'm playing Sylvaneth. Lots of people say Sylvaneth and they say they're really good, but I can't do really well. Well, if you look at this, Sylvaneth is statistically the second lowest army that is going to help you get more than two wins. So at a five-round event, three wins is going to be a positive win rate potential. So three twos, four ones, five O's. Sylvaneth have got the second lowest, with Nighthaunt being tragically low. The 27% uh, positive win rate potential, tragically low. The difference between them and Big War is nearly 40%. Is insane. Absolutely insane. 
So if we do go to the top and we look at Big War at 64% and Carriage and Overlords at 62%, and then you have Deepkin, Blades of Corn, Seraphon, and Soulblight Grave Lords. They're all at the above uh, positive, positive win rate potential. So if you're a new player and you could build and paint an army tomorrow, then I would suggest, and you're like, I would like to go to an event. I don't want to go 5 0, Rob, but I want an army that's going to give me the very best chance of getting more wins than I lose. Now, in this situation, it's Big War or it's going to be KO. Now, all of this is dependent on player skill, but we've got to ask ourselves, why is Big War so effective? And this really relates to the conversation we had a couple of years ago when we talked about the Gargants. At one point, Gargants had a 78% positive win rate potential. Why were they so good? It's mainly because they were what we call a damage per turn check or a DPT check. You weren't able to do all of the damage that you needed to do to take that unit out. And they just outscored you on objectives. So they would move everyone on objectives. And because the game is a five-turn game, they would be able to score in three turns and you could only score in two. And therefore, they would win. Big War is kind of similar. What Big War do is they always will score five battle tactics, which means they immediately put 10 points on the board. If you were only ever playing over three objectives, as an example, then they only ever need to hold two objectives, and they can do that quite well. That means they don't need to engage with you as a player. They can score most of their points by never engaging, and therefore, they're not really doing a battle. And that's really what happens with Big War. KO are a little bit different. KO do definitely engage. But what they're able to do is they're able to project power very aggressively. Same situation. They can score five battle tactics very, very easily. So what they do is they move all of their power and force onto each individual objective, clear it, gain it, and then move on. And in this way, they don't need to control, control the whole board. They don't need to defeat your whole army. They just need to defeat areas of the board while scoring bonus additional points. In fact, that's probably the main review of this battle pack as it is. And I probably should do this now. This battle pack, and also the game at the moment, is a game inherently structured around scoring points by not engaging with your opponent, almost always. Now, we have seen a kind of change in how that battle pack has worked, in that some of the players towards the top of the meta have started to make it so that they just delete your army, and therefore you can't score points, which is kind of fun. As a kind of like other addition to that which I think is quite interesting um, but mainly because of the way battle tactics works and pity points the new pity tactics that they put out what we're seeing is we're seeing the ability to score a lot of points which is your way of winning the game now this is kind of odd because playing a battle game again I've done a lot of quotation marks here a playing a battle game should be inherently about battling your opponent, not getting in and out of boats or standing near a bit of terrain or any of those other things. And so they've kind of created a game now which will feel very alien to new players. New players will be like, cool, I'll run over there and I'll fight you. And then those the, the other players will be like, well, that's not really what we're doing. I've cast a spell, I've stood on the board edges, I've moved outside my territory, I've scored six points. And they've never had to engage with you to make those things happen, which is kind of interesting. And because that archetype of not engaging is very specific, some other armies can't play that game. And therefore, there's a drastic imbalance between the battle tactics that are easily achievable at the top and then the ability to also hold a primary 
versus battle tactics that are much more difficult to achieve, which you're seeing with our armies. As an example would be the armies we see at the bottom, Nighthorn, Sylvaneth, Fireslayers, Slanesh. All of them have pretty weak battle tactics. They all struggle to achieve their battle tactics and therefore they immediately are down points. We're also seeing, and we're going to talk about this in another show, we've seen the win rate differential between armies become even shallower than it was in the last GHB. This means you're losing by less points and you're also winning by more by less points. Because this is true... That means that if you just get two free points and your opponent struggles to get two points, that's a four-point differential. Nothing to do with player skill and very little, and very much to do with like you know an unlucky dice roll here. As an example, I just played in a game at the weekend. Turn one, I was outside of unbind range and I needed to cast a spell on a six, two dice, re-rolled it, another two dice. Didn't do it. Therefore, I just lost two points. Wasn't really a skill factor. Like, and I could easily have lost that game. But skill had no factor in whether or not I won or lost that game, which is kind of interesting. So those are all of the stats. Now, there's so many videos I'd like to make in follow-up to these stats. But what I'd really like to do is actually create a conversation. That's the bit that's more important to me than necessarily telling you my opinion. What I want to see is healthy, ongoing conversations about external balance, which is to do with battle plan choices and also armies versus armies. Internal balance, as an example, like nerfing the Gobapalooza would be a mistake because you're indirectly affecting trog builds when really you should be affecting, I guess, gits builds. Not really, because they're actually got a win rate that's fine. It's 54%. If you're talking about like Nurgle as an example, find a way to make it so that Befouling Host isn't quite as good. What can you do about that? Right. So what I want is a conversation around these things. And I want healthy conversations. I want people to be talking about, especially the armies that aren't performing well. That has to be the main conversation. How do we improve Nighthorn? How do we improve, improve Sylvaneth? How do we help Heed Knights to Snesh out? How do we help Cruel Boys without helping Big War? How do we help um, Ogres a bit? You know, maybe diversify their playstyle, make Gluttons even cheaper. How do we help Zinch? What do we give to Zinch or what bonuses they need to help them improve, not just keep summoning chickens or taking an incarnate? Those are changes I'd like to see. Those are changes we probably won't see in the Battle Scroll update, but I'm interested. Anyway, I'd like to see that. And the way you can help in create conversation, share the video or share the blog accompanied with this video and then have conversations in your local gaming group. Share pictures, tweet me, at Six Die Skills, The Honest Wargamer. Uh, we have discords, uh, we have, uh, there are comments, I'm assuming, on the blog you could leave. Uh, all sorts of things. Uh, and I'd like that. I'd like to see what those are. Because a healthy meta is good, a healthy gaming community is even better, and having independent stats is the best for making sure we all have a much more fun and engaging community. Thank you again to Rob and Tom for creating the stats for the Honest Wargaming community. And if you would like to support our efforts in the future, you can support us on Patreon, which is easily the best way to support us. And you get early access to... There's already an early access video with me and Rob talking about some of this data behind the scenes. It's a lot more casual, a lot more relaxed. Uh, you get early access to slides and other stuff in the future. Uh, you can also just scream at me, which is fun. So, I hope you enjoyed the video. Thanks very much.